0: And now let us open it to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we will begin from verse 15. Here the word of the Lord says, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, So it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, And thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in jesus christ might be given to those who believe before the coming of this faith we were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed so the law was our guardian until christ came that we might be justified by faith now that this faith has come we are no longer under a guardian may god bless the reading from his holy word please be seated so good morning once again we continue our study in the book of galatians and the theme of this book is freedom in christ freedom in christ and let us remember that paul is refuting in this letter the false teachers that were saying that in order for you to be saved, you have to add works of the law, you have to add circumcision, you have to be a Jew in order to be saved. And Paul is saying that is wrong. That we are saved, we are justified by faith in Christ alone. And we have come to chapter 3 of this series. And we want to title our sermon today, The Purpose of the Law. So, in chapter 3, Paul begins to give us three arguments. He's giving three arguments to prove that salvation, that justification, is by faith alone. And when we say justification, it means you are declared righteous. All right? Now, we need to understand the context Paul is using legal terms Paul is illustrating that God is like a judge and that all mankind we are all sinners and so we're guilty and so there's going to be a case and we are all proven to be guilty and so we can never be justified in other words we can never be innocent and righteous enough to enter heaven if we base on our own works And that is why god gave us jesus christ it is through jesus christ that people can enter heaven it is by faith in jesus christ that god the great judge will declare you and me to be what innocent and so we'll be acquitted from the crimes that we have done all right the only acquittal is through faith in jesus christ all right now i'd like to go back to what we have left off last week right remember paul last week we said that there were three arguments to prove that justification is by faith alone the foolishness of the galatians remember based on their personal experience they say have you received the spirit based on the works of the law or because of your faith and obviously the answer is because of their faith and then the second argument was the faith of abraham Right? Paul brought them back to the patriarch and says, look at Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous not because he obeyed the law, because on the first place, there was no law during the time of Abraham. So you cannot say that Abraham was justified by works of the law. The law only came some 430 years later. And so Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then, if you remember, the third argument, and that's where I want to connect our lesson today, the third argument is the flaw of the law. Paul was saying, You who try to rely on the works of the law are what? You are under a curse. As it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Paul is saying that that's what Moses said. He gave us the law, but there is a curse. Everything must be fully obeyed. And by the way, how many were there? If you you count all the commands, the stipulations of God, there are... 613 613 laws and commandments in the Pentateuch in the Torah in the five books of the Old Testament those 613 those are what you call the law and that's what the Bible is saying you continue to do everything written in the book of the law that's 613 all your life and then you can enter heaven And Paul says, See, there's a curse. Why? None. No one can do that. In verse 11, he says, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. All right? The righteous will live by faith. It is not based on our own capacity to obey because we know that we will always fail amen we will always fail we cannot perfectly do all the 613 laws of Moses and so Christ redeem us so this is the solution because the law is flawed we cannot perfectly so the question now is where then what will happen to us how can we enter heaven if no one will pass here's the solution of God Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written curse is everyone who is hanged on the pole. The dying of Christ on the cross was a fulfillment of that curse in Deuteronomy. That instead of you and me experiencing the curse, Jesus took it upon himself. Can you imagine this? That's the good news. That's the gospel. Instead of you and me experiencing the curse from the wrath of God, Jesus took the curse. When he died on the cross, the curse was upon him. That curse was meant for you. It was meant for me. It was meant for all the people in the world. But those who believe in Christ, their curse was upon him. Amen? In other words, you no longer will experience that curse because of our faith in Jesus Christ. He redeemed us in order that the blessing. So, what is the opposite of a curse? A blessing. And, friends, that is what God gave to Abraham the Abrahamic covenant. All right? The Abrahamic covenant is the foundation of the gospel that god would bless all nations through you singular and that you there of course it refers to our lord jesus christ so instead of the curse of hell coming upon you and me when we put our faith in christ the blessings of the promise of god will come to us isn't that amazing that's the good news You don't work for that blessing. (laughs) See? That blessing is not a reward. It's not a reward that, you know, you obey the 613 commands and then you will go to heaven. No, it's not a reward. It's a gift. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so, beginning in verse 15, okay, so following that that trail of thought of Paul, we are now about promise versus law. Right? I I hope you find it because, you know, even Peter himself, even Peter in, in, in the letter of Peter, you know, Peter says he's telling other Christians, I know you're having a hard time believing the writings of Paul. So, if you think don't worry, even Peter himself recognized that. You know, you know, Pete, Paul was a brilliant guy. You know? if, if Peter used you know, 30,000 Greek words, Paul would be using 90,000 three times. And so you would ex- imagine when the Galatians were reading this, I know they were reading this again and again. Maybe let's read it again. I mean, have you find that yourself, that when you read it first pass, you don't understand it. <laughs> you read it again, all right? And that's why it's important that we expose it here. So now, Paul, Paul is now arguing about the law, all right? So he's now trying to compare. He's, he's, he's writing as if he's arguing with the false teachers. You're saying, okay, you're saying, remember, the false teachers, they're saying, the law is good the law is superior and paul's argument no the promise is superior to the law all right now look at verse 15 brothers let me take an example from everyday life right so again the argument is he's trying to argue that the covenant of god the promise of god by faith is better than the works of the law because these false teachers were saying the law is supreme remember that's the pharisees the pharisees they're exalting the law even the law over christ and so paul now is saying let me take you an example from everyday life so he's saying you know Let me use an illustration. You know this. You understand this in our everyday life, okay? Just as no one can set aside or add a human covenant or a contract that has been duly established, so it is in this case. You know what he's saying? When there is already a contract that is made, you cannot just set this aside simply because another one came. That's what he's saying. Simply because the law was given, it does not set aside the promise. Are you getting what Paul is saying? Simply because the law came later, Paul is saying it doesn't null, it doesn't cancel out the covenant that God made to Abraham. That's what he's saying. So it is in this case. What case? The case between promise and the law. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Notice what Paul was trying to point out, to his seed, singular. Scripture does not say, and to the seeds, meaning many people, and but to your seed, meaning one person. And now Paul gives an interpretation of the Abrahamic covenant. Because in the Abrahamic covenant, when you go to Genesis chapter 12, if you're reading it, you would find that, ah, so the seed of Abraham, in that context, who is that seed? Isaac, Ah, so you would say, ah, that's Isaac. Isaac is the promise. But God looks forward to the future. It's not Isaac. Isaac is not the son of promise. It was just a, 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 a temporary fulfillment of the law. But the absolute, the ultimate fulfillment of the son of promise is Christ. All right? It was not through Isaac that the world, the nations, will be blessed. No nations were blessed through Isaac. <laughs> in fact, it is through Jesus, the seed. So Paul is saying the promise is superior. Why? Because in the promise, there is a seed that can bless the nations. The law cannot bless the nations. In fact, it's the opposite. Through the law, nations are cursed. And that is why Paul is arguing the superiority of the promise, the covenant that God made. And this covenant can only be experienced, you, by you and me, through faith in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, this is what Paul says, and I like this verse. 2 Corinthians 1.20 No matter how many promises God has made, listen, listen. They are yes in Christ. Isn't that an amazing verse? And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know what Paul is saying here? All the promises that God has given to his people find their yes where? In the law? No, in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, the promises given in the the Old Testament are yours. And friends, I'm not talking about, you know, physical, uh, you know, uh, like territorial promises. Like, no, that's not what the Bible is talking about. Of course, you and I cannot own a property in Israel. <laughs> you know that. You cannot go to Israel and Holy Land. Those of you who will be going there and say, you know what? The Bible says this land belongs to me. <laughs> not that promise. That's for the Jews. I'm talking about what? The spiritual, you know, the moral promises of God. An example is when the Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you. You you all love that verse, right? That's favorite verse. What, What verse is that? Jeremiah 29, 11. And of course, you cannot claim that promise if you're not a christian you know why because when god says for i know the plans i have for you do you know who's the you there the jews you are not a jew you don't get the promise but a lot of a lot of gentiles take that as their own but here's the good news when you find yourself in christ That promise in Jeremiah 29.11 is absolutely yours because the Bible says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So Jeremiah 29.11 is very much yours as they are the Jews because of Christ. Amen? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that gives us confidence that even if we read promises in the Old Testament, Even if these promises were given to to Judah, to the nation of Israel. Listen, if you are in Christ, those promises are yours. How many of us were told by some pastors, you know what? You cannot claim that. It's in the Old Testament. Some pastors say that, right? You are not a Jew. Yes, I know. But if you understand what Paul is saying, the promises that God made to his people are very much yours because of what paul said in galatians amen that faith has been given to the galatians so that all the blessings of abraham can come to the gentiles you and me through our lord jesus christ now look at verse 17. what i mean is this the law again the law 613 the Pentateuch, the torah the law introduced 430 years later now friends I just want to explain something here. It's, it's, it's really not 430 years. When, when God gave the law to, Moses, I mean, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it was actually 645 years later that the law came. But where did Paul use the 430 years? The 430 years is when God finally reiterated the... Uh, the promise to J- Abraham's son or grandson Jacob okay before Jacob entered Egypt God you know reestablished the covenant and that is where Paul used as a timeline so from the time from the time before they entered Egypt all right That's 430 years, all right? 430 years. So this is from their sojourn in Exodus chapter 12. From the time they left Egypt up to the coming of the law given to Moses, that's 430 years. So that's what Paul is saying here. It is introduced 430 years later. Paul says, it does not what? It does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. You know why Paul is saying this? Okay, again, let's try to imagine the mindset of Paul. Paul is already anticipating that these false teachers would say, but the law was the newer one. So because this is new, you know, it cancels out the promise in Abraham. So, so these Judaizers were saying, the law should be superior than the covenant. And Paul is saying, the law which was introduced 430 years later, does not, very clear, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So Paul is saying, simply because the law came later, it does not nullify the promise of God. Paul is saying, the promise of God is an eternal covenant. Amen? The law never affected the promise of God to bless people through the seed of Abraham. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace, okay, this is very important. Because now Paul is saying the promise is really gracious in nature. It is not a reward. We obey the law that's reward. But, but Paul is saying the inheritance is a gift. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. And this grace, friends, listen, and this grace will overflow to every nation, tribe, and tongue that will recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. And that is why we declare, indeed salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then in verse 19, comes the big question. Why then was the law given at all? <laughs> That's where we will focus now. See? And then, and I'm sure some of you are saying, Yes, Pastor, if, if the law was flawed, if the law was only, you know, it, if it only curses people, then why did God? Even Paul asked the same question. Thing And he explains, why then was the law given at all? He's anticipating what the Judaizers would say. I mean, if they're saying, okay, Paul, okay, Paul, you're saying, you're arguing that the promise of God in Abraham was more superior than the law. Then, okay, Paul, answer this. Then why then God gave the law? All right? Here's the first answer. (laughs) The law was given for conviction of sin. And this is now Paul trying to explain. The law was given for conviction of sin. Look at verse 19. It was added. Alright? Take note of the word. It was added because of transgression. So, the law was an addition to the covenant. Alright? I want you to understand, the law is not a replacement of the covenant. It was just an addition, an addition with a specific clause. And what is that? Because of transgressions. All right? What is transgressions? To transgress means to break, the breaking of the law. In other words, it was added because of sin. Until the seed to whom the promise referred, had come. In other words, the law has a temporary, temporary, what do you call that? Temporary purpose. It was it was given for a specific period. And it will end until when? Until Christ comes. See? So when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the grave, when he ascended. The law has no more power over people. So it was a temporary thing. It was added because of transgressions. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Of course, you know the mediator. It was Moses was the mediator. And now we are told that the law was given through angels. So basically, there were angels there in Mount Sinai. Now, this is something that Paul alone disclose (laughs) you don't read this in in any other books in the bible that there were angels you don't find this in in exodus right but this is part of what jesus revealed to paul in those three years in in arabia that the law was given through angels that's something we don't know in the past progressive revelation what shall we say then is the law sinful Certainly not. That's what Paul says in Romans. Oh, by the way, the book of Romans is a parallel. It's a parallel. Romans chapter 7, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, it's a parallel of Galatians. If you want an expanded version of Galatians, go to the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, it's like Paul is giving us a theological textbook, explaining the gospel so here in the book of romans paul says what shall we say then is the law sinful in other words is the law bad because sometimes if if you don't understand paul we might think that paul is so against the law (laughs) paul therefore is the law evil paul says certainly not nevertheless i would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. See, that's the purpose of the law, brethren. The law was given so that we will be convicted of sin. You would never know that adultery is a sin until Christ says, thou shall not commit adultery. You will never know that murder is a sin until God says, thou shall not kill. Okay? I would not have known what sin was had it not for the law for i would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet see that's the purpose of the law so that we will be convicted of our sins without the law we would never know what's right and what is wrong see that's why the law has its purpose it's convicting us all right? in, 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 in the Living Bible, I'd like to use the Living Bible translation because it gives the nuance of the verse. But sin used this law against evil desires by remi- reminding me that such desires are wrong. And notice this, and this is very true, and arousing all kinds of what? Of forbidden desires within me, only if there were no laws to break, would there be no sinning. And let me give you an example. Okay? What Paul is saying here. When nobody says, do not touch, nobody will touch. But when there's a mark, do not touch, and people will be, will be arose. Mano de ay? mo touch ta? See? When you don't put, you know, a guideline to your kids, Josh, do not remove this. Okay? Now that Josh says, do no not remove, huh? maybe there's something if I remove. See? That's what Paul is saying. See? It's only arousing, it's only, you know, it's causing us to sin more. That's what Paul is saying. Arousing all kinds of forbidden desires within me. Only if there were no laws to break, would there be no sinning. See? So, it the purpose of the law is the conviction of sins. Psalm 51 verse 4 says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your, ver- in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now question, where do you think you know David based his conviction that, You know what? I have sinned against you, Lord, and your verdict is right. What is that verdict? That's the law. See, so, so the Bible is, is, is telling us here this morning that the verdict of God is the Bible. Okay, how will God judge the people, you know, during the great white throne judgment in the end of times? What do you think is the base of God's judgment? See, he will not compare you. He will not compare you to other Christians. No. He will compare you to the standards. This is the verdict. That's why when David sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba, the confession of David when he was, you know, confronted by Nathan, okay? David did not try to justify. He did not say that, you know what, it's the fault of this lady, you know? Why are you you taking a bath, you know, in an open CR or comfort room or toilet, you know? You should cover your roof it's not my fault no when david was convicted of his sin david immediately repented against you you only have i sinned why all sins are committed to god see every form of sin even if say pastor i don't understand why David says you and you only have I sinned, di ba nakasala siya kang di ba nakasala siya kang Uriah? Yes, but friends, I want you to understand: any sin that we commit is an offense to God because it was God's law that we broke. If God did not say it's adultery david would not have committed adultery because the word of god says you have sexual relation to a married woman or to any other person that is not your spouse it is adultery okay? it's the verdict and that's why he says you are right in your verdict justified when you judge right romans 3 20 says therefore no one will be declared righteous in god's sight by the works of the law. Rather, notice this, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's the purpose of the law. The law only makes us more sinner. It curses us. See? Conviction of sin. Second, the second purpose of the law, the law was given for instruction of righteousness. So it's not just about conviction of sin, but the law serves as what? It serves as a guide, instruction for righteousness. You know, God is the God of righteousness. Amen? This is the guide. This is, this is the present use of the gospel. I mean, the, the law, rather, as an instruction. If you want to do what's right, go to the law. The law is the instruction. And so, in Galatians, going back to Galatians 3, now now we're in verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Paul is saying, is the law in conflict with the promise of God? Again, the answer of Paul, absolutely not. It's not in conflict. For if a law had been given that could impart life then righteousness would certainly have come from the law i mean paul is saying for if a law had had been given to impart life then we would have base you know our spiritual life based on the law but it's not paul is saying they are two different ways all right if you want to live your lives by the law it will lead you somewhere death <laughs> If you allow your life following the promise by faith, it will lead you to life. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.16, the law kills, the spirit gives life. The law kills, the spirit gives life. So if not life, what does the law impart? What does the law impart now let let's go back to the old testament for a while psalms 147 so that we will understand what is the other use of the law why the law was given to the people aside from making people realize they are sinners he has revealed his word to jacob that's israel his laws and decrees to israel He has done this for no other nation. I want you to understand this. The law was not given to anyone, to any other nation, except to the nation of Israel. So the law was a sort of what? Their distinction. God is saying, I gave you the law so that you will be distinct from all the nations of the world, that people will understand that you are the people of the righteous God they do not know his laws for a long time israel was without true god without a priest to teach them and notice this and without the law to instruct them and there we find that god's purpose in giving the law was not just to convict them of their sins but to instruct them so that they will live a life distinct and friends That's the same thing with us today. See? This is where the law still applies today. Alright? Now, you need to understand that the law, okay, maybe you've read this somewhere in some theological textbook. To understand the law, the law has three different categories. Okay? Hear me out. There's the ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws. So these are all what? The, the sacrifices, see the killing of the bulls, all those ceremonial laws. There's the civil laws. And you will find it there, many chapters in the Bible, remember? Kung kung mag ka, daw i'mong You find that in the Bible? When, when your goat is stolen, this is what you need to do. Those are civil laws. In other words, that's part of the Torah. How are you going to, you know, solve all the civil issues. If somebody slaps you in the face, okay, dapat magpagsagpa. Kaya ka kayo yung specific si Lord, dapat ang, ang force na yung pa is equal to the same force you were slapped. That's why you have there an eye for an eye. See? It's so funny. But God is a just God. See? Walay sukod sa baos. Mona ang atua pero ang sa Bible pagsukmag niya ni mo, o ipon ang natangtang, ang sulti ni God, dapat exactly the same ngipon po itangtang sa mo And then, you are fair. That's civil law, that's in the Bible. Okay? Imagine, it talks about utang, di ba? It talks about how you treat your servant, so th- those are civil laws. Okay, and there's the four, third part, the moral laws. The moral laws are there to instruct. Now, of course, what happened to the ceremonial laws? The ceremonial laws ended when Jesus Christ was sacrificed. Remember? Everything about the ceremonial laws point to Christ. So when Christ came, that was already canceled. No more ceremonial laws. Civil laws, that's only for the Jews. But what about the moral laws? That's what? That's fundamental for all people. The moral laws are those laws that has something to do with what? Our morality. See? About being just, being fair. About, you know, about not not killing people. That's a moral law. About not committing adultery. That's moral law. So all these moral laws in the Old Testament were what? Upheld in the New Testament. See? So when you say the law to instruct, I am no longer under the law yes you are no longer under the ceremonial law you are no longer under the civil law but very much you are still under the moral laws of god why because we are still living in this sinful world it is to instruct us all right and and the problem with this instruction look at verse okay sorry galatians 3 that's 22 (laughs) that's not two Okay, please correct. That's verse 22. But the scripture has locked up everything under sin. I don't know, please check. Is that 22 or 23? Locked up. I want you to look at that verse. Lock up everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. When you say lock up there, it, it literally means to imprison. See? The, the law was an instruction, but It became an imprisonment for the people. That's what happened to the Judaizers. That's what happened to the legalists. That's what happened to the Pharisees. That's what Paul was saying. It was meant, the purpose of God was supposedly meant to instruct people so that they can live in freedom. But what literally happened is that they became enslaved with the law. That they were focusing so much on the letters of the law and not the spirit of the law. And that's what happened to the Jews. They were burdened. So this instruction became what? Not instruction for life, but this became instruction where in prison. Before the coming of this faith, notice this, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up until faith, that was to come, would be revealed. So this instruction somehow is, it has a nature of what? Enslaving people. See? It's like God gave His standards and now we understand God's standards. But what happened is that before Jesus Christ came, these instructions imprisoned people. That's why we are waiting for faith to come. And that leads us to the third. Because we were held in custody. Now, Paul gives us another illustration here. The law was given for preparation of Christ. For preparation of Christ. Notice 24. So the law was our guardian. Okay. Now, Paul here gives us a new word. All right. A guardian. What's that word? The the word guardian is paidagugus. paida gugus. Paida, every time you hear the word paida, paida, what is that? It's child. See? Paida gugus there means what? A guardian. All right? Paida gugus. What is a paida gugus? Now, Paul is using a Roman term. In Rome, okay? Rich kids they will always have a paedagogos. A paedagogos is a yaya. Okay. And the purpose of the yaya, the paedagogos is not, maybe there are some yayas. Like, but the idea of the paedagogos, they are very strict. All right? They are very strict that the idea, if if, if this is, remember, this is Roman culture. In the Romans, the, the boys, the girls, they hated their paedagogos. All right? Now, in, in the Roman time, they are always under their pedagogos until they reach adulthood. All right? And so for their entire, you know, childhood life, they are held in captivity. And they hated, you know, maybe with some exemptions. But that's usually the case for the pedagogos, these guardians. They were supposed to be strict, they were paid to do that. All right? And the goal of that is that these kids are trained. They have teachers, but the role of the paedagogos is to bring them to places, to bring them to school, to remind them of what needs to be done. It's a strict yaya. All right? And then Paul used that illustration. He's saying, the law was like our paedagogos. The law was like, in some other translation, it says tutor. Look at other translation. Okay, but a tutor is not a right English translation of the word because a tutor is more on a teacher. Okay, and there's another Greek word for that. Okay, it's not paedagogos. But paedagogos literally is a guardian, a yaya, a nanny. But the nanny is supposed to be what? They are severe disciplinarian. Okay, someone that the child are anxious to become adult so that they can get rid of this, you know, harsh yayas. Yeah, and, and Paul says, the law was like that. We were under custody. See, we were under the bondage of the law. We know you have to do this, you have to do that. And what happens if you don't do this, you will be punished. See, Until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Friends, the idea is this. The purpose of the law of God was to convict us of of our sins, was to enslave us with all these instructions in which we will all conclude, how then can I be saved if the law is so difficult to live? And if I cannot follow everything, then I am ruined. I am absolutely wretched. Why? I cannot follow everything of the law. And the law is just too harsh for me. Where will I go, Lord? That's the purpose of the law. The law points us to a Savior. The law was given to the Jews so that the Jews would yearn for someone that will liberate them from this guardian. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, that was meaning to say Christ has come, notice what Paul says, we are no longer under the guardian. That's how Paul explains it. Now that you are in Christ, you are no longer bound to the law. The law is enslaving, but Christ came to set us free. So friends, what's the purpose of the law? The, the law is supposed to make our lives miserable so that there's only one goal, so that it leads us to yearn to need Jesus Christ. The law points people to Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans ten four, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes in other words if you follow jesus christ if you love him with all your heart if you accept him as your lord and savior then you have come to the end of the law because christ is the law amen Christ is the end of the law. That's, that's the argument of Paul in Romans and Galatians. That's the argument he has against false teachers. That you false teachers, why do you have to stick on to the guardian? You are now adults. You don't need this harsh guardian. We have come to the Savior, the Redeemer. And that's why Christ has set us free from the bondage of the law. And so in conclusion, brethren, In conclusion, let me quote Romans 3, 30. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, that's the Jews, and the uncircumcised through that same faith, notice what Paul says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Because I know Paul already anticipated that because he says that we are no longer under the law, so what's the, what's the other conclusion? Ah, so I can live my life free from the law, so I can commit adultery, I can steal, I can kill, I can cheat, because I am not under the guardian anymore. That's the conclusion of Paul. Do we then nullify the law by this faith because we have faith in Christ? What's the answer? Not at all. In another translation, it says, absolutely not. Rather, we uphold the law. That's the point of Paul. We uphold the law. In other words, we obey the law. But this time, our obedience to the law is no longer as the way we obey the guardian. <laughs> you see? Because in First John, I, I did not put it there, because in 1 John chapter 5, you will find it there. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, if Jesus truly has given you a new birth, listen, John says, the law will no longer be burdensome to you. Amen? You know why? Because John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Friends, the way we obey the command of the Bible is not like obeying the guardian. The way we obey the law is the same way we obey the letters of our loved ones. Amen? Diba? When your loved ones write you some love letters, Dear, I love you so much. Maabot na hapit, panghugas na daan sa mga plato. Ang gidugang na ko dito, pasigaan na to. If you love someone, imog yun ang buhaton. Because it's your loved one. Pero kong imotong mama, gasugu. Hapit na kung abut, pasigaa na ang awa Awanan, ana, gut na. See? Friends, that is not how you obey God. When we truly love God, the Bible says His commands are not burdensome. Amen? And so I hope that by understanding the purpose of the law, it convicts our sins, it gives us instruction, but most importantly, the law prepares us for Jesus may we come to Jesus Christ, come into His saving knowledge, come into His grace, come into His table, and you will find that obeying His commandments in the Bible is joyful and loving. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord. Thank You so much, Lord, that even though the law does not bring us to heaven, but You have given us Your law, the moral laws, because You love us, you want us to live lives protected. It was meant to protect your people, Lord, not to burden them. It's meant to guide us to the right path. And Lord, we are very sorry when a lot of times we ignore the laws in the Bible. We ignore your commands. But Lord, Jesus said that not everyone who says to you, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But you says, but only He who obeys your will. May we truly obey your laws, not out of fear, of curse, but out of love and reverence to you. In Jesus' name, Amen.